you aren't the thing you're putting out in the world. If I put out a photo, I don't care how fucking good it looks. Let's say it's a perfect photo. It's not photoshopped or any of this deceitful stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful photo and it captures me in a moment where I look incredible. Mm-hmm. And a thousand people like it. I'm like, wow, look how good I look. Wow, amazing. How good I look is not an indication of my value. Because there is more to me, much more to me, than just the looks. Yeah. Even if I look good. <laughs> the idea that somehow me looking good or by extension. Getting a like. The likes on the photo that looks good are an indication of how I should think about myself at all is ridiculous. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. On today's podcast, I am joined by my friend, Joe Joukowsky. And on today's episode, we discuss some of the dangers associated with social media and how we interact with it. As a jumping off point for this conversation, we alluded to in the last episode that you should watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma. And given now that it's probably been a month and a half since the release of that documentary on Netflix, I'll have a link in the show notes for those of you who haven't watched it. But you, it's not a prerequisite to listen to this conversation, but I think it provides a level playing field for you to absorb the ideas that we're getting at here. And I think it's one thing to mention here because when technology is so embedded in how we interact and communicate day-to-day on the internet, such as these platforms, and it can be hard to see what is the problem. I want to give an example really quick on how to lay out my thinking here on why this is negative. And I think it comes down to incentives, which is the... Platforms like Facebook and, and Twitter and, and, and such are thought to be public squares where they're places for you to go communicate with you and your friends and then have communication and connection. And that is how they were designed to be. But as they got bigger with more people and then the companies themselves turned into how do we sustain this, the idea changes from being a public square to Wait, we're making money on people's attention. So the incentive changes to not providing a public good, but rather how do we monetize the engagement on our platform? And so I think that is where the shift comes. And that is why the behavior on these platforms seems to be driven down in such a way that causes a negative feedback loop where having real thoughtful and nuanced discussion is slim to none. And at times this conversation can be somewhat negative or pessimistic, but I think we can get to a place that we can use these technologies in a positive way. The first step to recognizing that problem is that just having awareness that there is a problem at all. This conversation will serve as a jumping off point for just hopefully providing more awareness and some thoughts on what we see happening. And that given our, we're just two individuals here, we can only have so much ideas that we can cover. There's 
so many people on these platforms, many millions at this point, that we all have our different takes on this thing. But the thing is that individuals have different priorities than what we see at population levels. So even if you don't see certain negative things happening, that doesn't mean it's not happening. What we have to do is figure out ways to improve the population level situation on these platforms so that the negatives associated become less detrimental over the long term. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Joukowsky on the dangers of social media. We preface this conversation because we're going to continue this from our previous conversation where Joe was just outlining the post-COVID adaptation and just kind of state of the University of Michigan, really. And then we kind of transitioned that conversation into a discussion of social media with the the big inciting incident there being the Social Dilemma Netflix documentary. Yeah. And we wanted to talk about social media generally, but I yeah. mean, that was, we don't have to talk about that film specifically. No, we can reference ideas from it, but right, it's right. not like we're reviewing the film. I think that social media is a drug given to people who are depressed. It's the whole country's depressed. They feel like their life is meaningless. And our solution as not even our solution – it's the drug dealer of these companies providing a substance to a desperate public. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. I, I haven't thought about it that way. I've personally thought of them as dopamine drips that we keep in our pocket, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which and is I, another way of saying the same thing right. <laughs> in and a so, lot of ways. And for those that wouldn't understand exactly what dopamine is dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain that deals with incentives it makes you want things right it doesn't give you the pleasure necessarily of achieving it or getting something but it makes you crave it mm -hmm. and whenever you get something that you want it's like a reward signaling that's exactly right so if i really want this beer then i'm gonna go or rather how about this and I'll use cocaine because cocaine acts specifically on the dopamine system, dopaminergic system. And if I take some cocaine, <clears throat> a whole bunch of behaviors led up to me taking that cocaine. I went to a club. I talked to some people and those people had some cocaine and then I, and then I took cocaine and those behaviors that led up to it are reinforced by the taking of the cocaine. And part of that is so that your body can basically, here's the thing that's going to make me survive. If I can make you want the thing that's going to make you survive, then you're more likely to survive. But it's hijacking the system. So yeah. now, because I just took cocaine, I'm more likely to go to that club. I'm more likely to hang out with those people. I'm more likely perhaps even to hang out with them for the sake of cocaine than take cocaine. It rewires that reward system that was once used yeah. to keep you alive. It is now a, makes you do horrible decision making. <laughs> it is a hijacking system. It's also part of why people feel like they're just accomplishing genius things while they're on cocaine. Interesting. Like, oh my god! Oh, what? A, let's go start a business. Blah blah blah. blah. And they feel like they're mm -hmm. just doing things and are accomplishing things all the time. But that's because it's a weird conflation between. It makes me feel of that movie Limitless. 
It's like that, but if you never did anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. actually. Uh, and so what the social media companies did was look at the addiction literature in cocaine and dopamine and said, oh, we can get this to make people want to continuously come back to us and always be looking for that next bump, that next hit. Yeah. Of Facebook, of Instagram. Of likes. <laughs> likes are the thing. It's weird to me because it's at some point the internet became not based around just the content itself, but the engagement of content. Hmm. Like how many seconds or minutes are you watching or interacting with a piece of content, right? These Because these platforms monetize themselves in a way that, oh, we know stuff about you and your behaviors or what yeah. you're more likely to engage with, right? The, in the modern form, at least. And so it's because of that incentive for them to know that about you, then therefore they can then sell that to a company, even if they don't know anything specific. Because it's they don't really, they don't need to know anything specific. It's, so as a, in a weird way, if I knew something about all of our phones have GPSs, right? So it'd be really quick. You can start learning about behaviors of people just with hotspots of so every time your phone jumps from wi-fi to wi-fi and you had a gps map of where those wi-fi locations were you could really quickly be able to map out a person days and weeks based on their movement patterns of what when they interact with certain wi-fi connections so like they can really easily find out where you live where you work what gym you go to and any other places like starbucks and stuff just with you frequent yeah with very minimal like data but they can create a heat map because of frequency. Yeah. And it's like these kind of intuitive behaviors that you use on the internet in the same way. Because it's, oh, they know find out that you click on these certain websites for, I don't know, video games or Twitch or different kinds of streamers with different kinds of games. They can figure out what games you like to play. What, and they do this yeah. with everything. So it's like this really weird interconnected web that it feels innocuous, right? Not to me. <laughs> it feels gross. But if you don't, if you're not thinking about it, it feels, oh, wait, they're doing that? I mean, and that's a whole that's a whole privacy element that we can get to. Different. Yeah, it's a different yeah, yeah, angle. But I, it was the first example I could think of. We went from addiction and hopped over to to privacy. Yeah. But it's, I think you almost have to get to, okay, so how about this? So Let's rewind it. <laughs> if there's this whole privacy issue and that these companies are collecting enough data to basically track everything that you do and everything that you care about and everything that you like, they're collecting data from you in order to provide for you things that you're likely to buy so mm -hmm. that when you buy it, they get kicked back. And so not only do they know everything about your life, but we are even – some of us consciously staying on the system regardless of the fact that we know they are taking all these privacy these pieces of data and transgressing against our desire for privacy why that's when it's the addiction thing and then so we're addicted so that's why we do it and they want us addicted because the more data we give them the more accurate thing they can provide us with or the more data we give them, the more accurate things. Yeah. It's if you're trying to sell something to someone, the odds of that's the biggest question for selling in anything is providing the product, but knowing with any degree of certainty, whether or not that person will commit to putting real money on the table. Yeah. 
But if with these modeling procedures with algorithms and collecting data and your usage patterns, they can, they get better in saying with, with probability, they probably have a whole spreadsheet. I don't even know what that would look like with, for each person, but it sounds so crazy now that I'm thinking about it, but they probably have a spreadsheet of probability scores on different pro- types of products, like just categories of products. And it looks like you're more likely to buy these types of things. Yeah. And they could give estimated money, like how much you spend per year, how much you spend (laughs) per quarter or per week, and what day you probably buy things more likely on. Well, I guess they would have a specific – they could have if they wanted a profile on every one of the individual users that they have. Yeah. I don't know if they do that, but – I don't know if they'd have to. It might just be an unconscious system that just – that just every time you interact – it automatically responds in a certain way, like almost Pavlovian. I ring the bell, it salivates, uh, yeah. right? And the system itself needn't be conscious of that fact in some sense. Should we back up and unpack how, like why it's a, an addiction thing? Because I, I have a feeling, I don't know why it's popped in my brain, but I have a feeling people are going to be like, is it really like an addiction? Because it's so innate in our like daily lives and like how we interface with the world that it's like invisible to us okay we can just play this sim- we'll play it first subjectively yeah leave your phone at home <laughs> leave your phone at home and then see if you get anxious see if you reach for your pocket see if that one moment between knocking on someone's door and waiting for them to open it involves you reaching into your pocket because if it does well you've been programmed now, we can talk about it neurologically. That's the whole dopamine system. It is literally using the structure of your brain. It is exploiting the structure of your brain in order to make you addicted to the product because the more demand there is for the product, the more they get for their supply. And they're not charging you, but they are charging the advertisers who are on that system. Mm-hmm. So they can charge them more the more addicted to their product you are. It's an addiction, and they're, they are doing this intentionally. They went into the psychological literature on addiction and persuasion and all this. Reddit thought it was great and said, yeah, I do the idea of addicting a bunch of people to our product. Let's do that. <laughs> and there's no incentive there for your well-being because, I mean, for one, you wouldn't expect your Coke dealer to have your best interests in mind. And so this idea that somehow these people have your interest in mind in the first place. Especially is, when they is have absurd. to gain millions of dollars. And they will make more money than your Coke dealer. They are going to, they are going to, they, there's more money at stake for them than your Coke dealer. And part of what that money rests on is you remaining addicted. They have more reason to keep you addicted than a Coke dealer. That's ridiculous. It's so, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I've been playing this game for a little while now with uh, trying to understand how these devices work against human nature or work against your own best interests in mind and trying to break the loop, right? Yeah. And step one has always been removing 90% of notifications or all of them if possible, but obviously 
It's not. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the age of COVID, it's definitely not. But right. I just get emails and yeah. But on my own personal phone, I have the only notifications I get directly are phone calls and text messages. Everything else has no notification push to me, especially the social medias, because in my mind, the idea that the reason I decided to do it was that I want to be in the driver's seat of when I engage with those specific platforms. I didn't want to be the one that basically it's like your drug dealer knocking on your door and saying, hey, I got your next hit for you already. You want to I know you're busy. Do you want to be right? Who's the puppet master in this situation? Do you want to control yourself or do you want them to control you? Mm -hmm. And part of the purpose of notifications is to give you that little which is an association with positive emotion. Right. So that's one of the tracks on the way to having that dopamine hit, that Coke hit, Mm -hmm. that Facebook hit. So you're more likely to do those behaviors if you see that first one, right? If you're, if the first behavior in a string of behaviors, if there's A, B, C, and D, and E, you take cocaine, then the moment A happens, you're going to be like, oh, shit. It primes the system. Right. <laughs> right. Now we're on the track. Mm-hmm. You're on the track and you feel it and you want it. You I mean draw, like people with the, the, the phantom vibration? That's an interesting thing. But it's you're in the movie theater and you smell the popcorn. You're like, ooh, that's step A. Yeah, I think I would like some popcorn. Right now, you've been incentivized. Step B is just thinking, oh, yeah, that would be. I could do that. Because the thinking it through and the rationalizing it to yourself has been reinforced so many times that now you have become practiced in rationalizing your need to buy popcorn. Mm -hmm. And then step C is you go and buy some fucking popcorn. (laughs) And then once you buy that popcorn, step D would be taking the popcorn. You eat the popcorn and now you have a dopamine hit. And the extra and then there's even more layered incentives in there too, because it's like they make it extra salty, so then you're incentivized to buy a yeah. pop. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> to so to quench your thirst. Yeah, they're double dipping those <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but it's the same game. So when you mm-hmm. hear vr, vr, that noise is step A. Yeah. Oh, if I hear that noise, then I grab my phone. Then I slide on the notification. Then I open Facebook and now I'm on Facebook and now, ooh, there's a plus three. I'm going to look at that. Yep. Bang. Oh, yeah. Dopamine. And then you see a friend who shared a funny meme and then you're right. watching ha, 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 10 ha, minutes so of funny. memes. <laughs> and oh, somebody's talking about me and blah, 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 blah. It's a hijacking of the system. They're mm-hmm. manipulating you. They are manipulating you. Like that's really what gets me upset about this because it's like all these things are like oh like funny like things to talk about i oh i got stuck on the couch and binge watch an entire season of netflix or <laughs> or i went in a on a rabbit hole down a rabbit hole on youtube and yeah. spent two hours go doing something useless right. and these are like the harmless examples of this yeah. because i think yeah. there's and, and, I, and i would point out here that like if you do anything that you're not sure how you ended up doing it that's really bad because that means you weren't in control. Somebody else was in control. And when you weren't paying attention, they grabbed the wheel and they took you somewhere. You didn't even know you were going. And so you're down that YouTube rabbit hole. And now, where, how the fuck did I get here? It's been four hours. I'll tell you how you got there. Because somebody else fucking drove. <laughs> they pushed the right buttons in the right sequence and said, ooh. It's a lot of what I talk about on all of this stuff. Our biology is still the same. Our brains still function the same way they did millions and millions of years ago when we were still on the plains of Africa with barely fire and stone tools. And 
our understanding of even rudimentary understanding of how the brain functions, at least mechanistically, is being circumvented by our technology and its ever-improving processing power. And it's gotten to the point where instead of being your partner, it's now nudging you and being a little bit of a puppet master to some degree. And it's, I know there's people out there and this is not no dig on Jordan, but shout out to Jordan for being a skeptic in this category, because I understand where he's coming from because he think I'm paraphrasing here and it would be, it'll be a separate conversation when Jordan wants to come on here and talk about this. Cause I'd love to hear his thoughts, but his kind of premise is that it shouldn't be put so much on the technology itself to be blamed and or like the platforms itself to be blamed for this which to some degree I'm on his side in the sense that no, none of this was intentionally put out in the world to be malicious in, initially like when they first started doing these things they just decided to make a fun platform for people to connect with each other on the internet because they could but then it's it's once the goal shifts and you realize that there's money on the table and if they do the right thing, make these couple of tools and all of a sudden this thing turns on and it starts generating many millions of dollars, then incentives change. Yeah, and that's the point that came up or a response to that point came up in a conversation between Sam Harris and Tristan Harris. And Tristan Harris was... One of the programmers who talks in the Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma. And they talk about they talk about how these are hyper-complex systems, perhaps the most complex systems that humanity's ever created, whose sole purpose is to manipulate you and exploit your weaknesses and use it for monetary gain. And so you could say that it's my fault that I've become addicted or whatever to this platform. Fine. But if I play a game of chess with Gary Kasparov and I lose and get demolished, <laughs> is that on me? Is that really on me? It's like playing basketball one on one against Michael Jordan. Right. Ever, yeah. <laughs> Is it my responsibility to beat LeBron? Yeah, even I'm better. Like, okay, maybe it's my fault in that I decided to play that game in the first place. But if we're playing the game, <laughs> it's not even like that analogy doesn't even work. Because it would be more like everyone was like playing a pickup game. Everyone was playing a pickup game. And nobody told me I was playing against LeBron. And then you blame me for losing. <laughs> That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I guess to keep the analogy there would be like do playing internet chess and not knowing who your opponent was. And then finding out that it was Gary Kasparov and you get like deranked for it or something. Wow, what a bitch. <laughs> Losing against Gary Kasparov. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I, I think it gets further down. The reason it gets weird is that we've gotten to the point with our generation gets lucky being born in the early 90s. We've missed it, or at least we grew up in parallels. We really didn't get this the 
the more mature wave of this social media stuff until we were out of high school for the most part. But it's now we're getting to the point where the, the generation that's a little bit younger than us, about 18 now probably, is or has had these devices in their hands since they were like 11 yeah. or 12. Right. right. The, the, and what's happening with those people, right? <laughs> they are very nearly the children whose parents were on cocaine when they were pregnant. So they're born with the dependence. It is almost like that. In fact, to some degree it is because there are a significant number of parents that are just giving uh, these children an iPad or an iPhone or whatever. To keep them to satiated. Just shut up. I don't want to deal with your crying. Take the fucking iPad. And that's how you do it. And they don't take into account the fact that they're it's actually detrimental to their language learning because they're not talking with people. They're staring at a yeah. They're staring at a screen instead of spending the valuable time that they need to in for order socialization. To learn language. Yeah, yeah. If I learn, if an infant learns a language not by being in a classroom but by being constantly exposed to conversation and trying to converse. Yeah. But you're just satiating them and taking away their desire to converse by giving them cocaine. And so, <laughs> of course, these kids grow up and they have a problem because i mean that rewires the brain any input signal that you put into the brain makes small changes and if you do start doing this earlier it's just inoculation in a different form and if you can any way of thinking that survives the very fluctuating plastic development of the early brain and lasts into adulthood is very concretized it's stuck there right this is not good but if you've had a habit for 50 years jesus but that's a position we're putting these kids in yeah and we're in to some degree ourselves because definitely yeah i feel like one of the more aware ones by just being because of an engineering background, because I know how coding and simple algorithms work at an intuitive level. So it's, I just have that level of awareness that most people don't think about really. Cause it's like, our phones are just magic boxes for the vast majority of people. You charge it, you power it on, you tap on the screen and it does things for you. And it connects to the internet and the whole globe. But to think even one layer down is not like the average person's assumption. It's, it's no different than cars, right? Like when you, you just, Put the key or press the button now because push to start cars is yeah. It you put, make sure there's gas in it or the battery is charged and you just drive your car. Yeah. There's a problem you take it to mechanic and you let them figure it out. It's too complicated a system in some sense to understand. Definitely, but this is a lesson about reality. It's you're so limited. Mm-hmm. Every person, I don't care if you're a fucking super genius. Every person is so limited compared to the nature of reality that there are just going to be a, an ungodly number of things that they don't know anything about. Yeah. And there'll be consequences for that. And that's what suffering is in part. And no, that's what tragedy insofar as tragedy is an undesired outcome Mm. is. It's not necessarily suffering because suffering is also the way you react to any given situation. Mm -hmm. But if you're limited in the result of your limitations that the, there are things that you don't know and those things that you don't know will result in outcomes that you didn't want. Then at that moment, you have a choice between reacting poorly, which is something like suffering, 
mm-hmm. there are reasons for that. But or letting it go and not suffering, taking it as a state of fact. Yeah. And I think this kind of segues into the mental health aspect of all of this, which Jonathan Haidt is the really the main researcher that's done some of this groundwork of it with the book Coddling of the American Mind. And one of the biggest stats that was he repeated in the, in the documentary, but his, it's in other places too, is the rise in suicide for younger girls. Yeah. I think it's 13 to 15 yeah, or tweens. so. Yeah, like the younger girls that you historically... And self-harm, the cutting stuff. Yeah. Yes, too. That too. They So historically, that group of, of young girls is has like almost no suicide at all. But it there's been a sharp incline since 2007, I believe. Or is it 8? I think 2008 was when Facebook... It's when, it's when the apps went online, it seems like. I think it was... There's a correlation. There's no definitive proof here, but right. it seems like the inciting incident of this stuff. And there's a whole bunch of reasons to believe that, in part because a whole bunch of things all happened that seem to be related to that. So you see, like, a bunch of ripples on the surface, and then you recognize that there's something underwater blowing bubbles, right? Yeah. And the thing blowing bubbles underwater here that we can infer from all the ripples on the surface is Facebook and Instagram went online or went onto app on the phone. And so the next question there, I would assume people would have is why, what is the trigger then there? Like why would younger girls all of a sudden with the advent of social media apps on their phones? And part of this is, has to do with sex differences and aggression. So women and girls are more likely I should start with men. Men are more likely to be physically aggressive. So the type of bullying that men exhibit is physical. They attack, beat up other men. I guess boys at that age. But but women's aggression is different. Women and girls' aggression is less likely to be physical and more likely to be something like reputation demolishment. That sounds awful. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds, that and, sounds terrible. And honestly, this isn't surprising. Anyone who's ever met pathological women know that this is the case girls can be spiteful oh my god like you this is a thing you talk to any one of your female friends about how female bullying looks and it's fucking gross at least with a dude like i can hit the guy in the face (laughs) (laughs) well and they're gonna look at you and say i just don't like you bro (laughs) something but like it's very direct it's there's some sort of just nasty vitriolic bullshit that these girls are playing but since it's reputation demolishment, it happens linguistically. You're, you're talking about it. You're telling lies. You're treating people poorly. You're saying bad things about them to their face, whatever it is. And one of the ways you can do that or one of the ways you are in, enabled to do that is the social media platforms because now I have constant access to you. If I want to make your life hell by being a little shit, now I can follow you home to do it. Home in quotes, right? If I'm in your phone and your phone is in your pocket and you take your phone home and now you're reading that at 8.30 p.m. when you have to go to bed at 9.30 because you had class in the morning, I am following you home or just you, to tell you how much, of a, how much I hate you. Or say you don't even look at it and you wake up in the morning and then the first thing you read starting your day is right. some vitriolic shit. Welcome to consciousness. <laughs> you suck. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's going on there. So, of course, these girls are getting depressed. That's one reason. But. It's one reason. The, I think there's another part of this, too, is just 
at that age, I don't care if you're boy or girl, you're figuring yourself out. You barely have any idea of the concept of self. I know when I was like 12, 13, the opinion of myself was not great. <laughs> and if I had a social media profile where I could judge myself further by looking at all the people I thought were cooler than me, that would not have gone like I, I was already having issues at that age anyways, because I was nerdier than the average person anyways. And so when you start having that frame of self-reference, you don't need to be made fun of to put yourself down any further. It's just exacerbating the situation. There's that, right? There's the bullying element. There's the putting it down. There's also the element. There's just the. Insofar as teenagers are concerned about their social status. Mm-hmm. And their social status is now being judged by likes. Yeah, liked views, plays, whatever, subscribes, if they do that. I don't know. Then they're putting way too much emphasis on the value of these platforms. Right? They're judging their social standing, their personal value. How many likes <laughs> they get on an Instagram post. I mean, that's an interesting thing too, right? Like, to some degree, we all we can all get caught up in this, Right. You get caught up in how much salary you make or if you run some sort of channel of some sort, how many plays you get. Yeah. It's really easy to be judging your self-worth or the quality of you as a human being on some arbitrary thing is plays yeah. or salary. Yeah. And it's this weird issue where it's, it's a misalignment of goals, right? Because they're using this tool to make a judgment about their personal value. But that tool was designed not to tell them what their worth is, but to make money. And so the idea that this money-making tool can tell you your personal worth is ridiculous. It's like saying, it's like saying this wrench is going to be really good as a laser for LASIK surgery. You're insane. <laughs> you're nuts. These are totally different things. And now somehow you're thinking that that's going to work out. And now part of it is I'm making criticisms here. Right. You could infer of teenagers. I don't expect them to know this. I'm making explicit in part because if there's any teenager listening, they can have the logic played out for them and they can hopefully – recognize how ridiculous social media is and how the idea that your value comes from the number of likes that you have is gross. But also, forget teenagers. I think there's members of our generation that do the same game. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing something that you wouldn't do, that you wouldn't do otherwise, for social media, that in some sort of Normal situation, you wouldn't do. So if you're willing to behave and take a picture in a certain way or something, because that gets you 200 likes. If you aren't willing to do that same thing in front of 200 people, then I think there's a mismatch here. That's an interesting... I like that a lot. Think about that. Because if, let's say I'm taking... I'm posing for some photo... And here's some lighting in this and I'm doing whatever and I look kind of ridiculous. It works for a photo, but I'm not a fucking male model. Would I do that sitting in front of 200 people? 
<laughs> Fuck no. That's embarrassing. Right, yeah. <laughs> Why would I do that? But people are doing that all the time, every day, every fucking day of their life. They're doing this stuff. And that's not assuming, that's assuming you take one photo and you're fine with it. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to stand in front of 200 people and I'm going to make 13 different poses. Just, ooh, yeah, <clears throat> look at me. Are you nuts? Until one of those is perfect. Mm -hmm. Are you crazy? No one's going to do that because that's a, ridiculous. It's embarrassing and it's silly. And we recognize that for what it is. It's attention-seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to act like that, it's sad. And any self-respecting person, including those people who are the self-respecting people who are posting these things on Facebook should take a moment to think about what it is they're actually doing. Yeah. I completely agree. There's been times where even on this podcast itself where I get wrapped up into how many plays I get and things like that or even website yeah. views. And I'm like, I have to disconnect myself and be like, You're the, that's not the reason you do this. Sure, it feels good that more people see the things you do. But that's not the point. Like the point, like the value of one person is equal to the value of a thousand. Like the fact that one extra person could hear the thought that I had is just as good as if, you know, like it, it I try not to play that numbers game because it's not, it, it takes away from the value it I, might I, gain. I, I think you're playing it at the wrong level. If what you want for the podcast is more plays then one doesn't equal 1,000. But if you recognize that the value of the podcast and your value as a person isn't tied up in the numbers, then you just produce the value. Yeah. And the problem with social media and counting these numbers is the assumption that they're an, a legitimate indication of one value, but they're just not. And people identify... This is the problem. I have a huge issue with the way we think about identity right now. But the way people think the, – these people identify with the number of people who are liking their post. Yeah. They're, it is me. A thousand likes is me. I am liked a thousand times. That is wrong because they were manipulating you in the first place. But also you aren't – you aren't the thing you're putting out in the world. If I put out a photo, I don't care how fucking good it looks. Let's say it's a perfect photo. It's not photoshopped or any of this deceitful stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful photo and it captures me in a moment where I look incredible. Mm -hmm. And a thousand people like it. I'm like, wow, look how good I look. Wow, amazing. How good I look is not an indication of my value. Because there is more to me, much more to me. Than just the looks. Yeah. Even if I look good. <laughs> the idea that somehow me looking good or by extension. Getting a like. The likes on the photo that looks good are an indication of how I should think about myself at all is ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that's, that's really why I say put yourself back in control of these things because – by becoming subservient to it, there's plenty of stories where people delete posts because it didn't get enough likes and whatever enough means. It's the hedonic treadmill <laughs> all over again or in a different context. And it's just the, it's a trap, plain and simple. It's just a trap of, of thinking and, and not understanding the 
intrinsic nature of what it means to be a human being and experiencing consciousness. Because I think it's subverting or minimizing the depth of experience that we can have. And especially like some people would say it's more rewarding to get likes or something like that. But I would implore you to go instead of going out in nature to go take cool photos to post on social media, just be there. And just mm, experience yeah. the landscape for what it is. Like the value of your experience shouldn't be dictated by the number of likes you're getting on social media. Nor should you – I'm going to say that again. The value of your experience shouldn't be dictated by the number of likes you get on your social media. And the purpose of having an experience is not so that you can be validated. Go out travel do these things not because other people will appreciate it but because of what you personally on a deep emotional spiritual level can extract do it for you but this <laughs> this idea the this it's almost cynical it's just like mm -hmm. jesus like you really think that the point of going to the vatican and seeing the artwork you think that the point of going to these cathedrals in Europe and the beautiful landscapes in America and in the Shinto shrines in Japan mm -hmm. and the old Roman baths in England. Or do you think that the point of that was to get a picture? Then look at a fucking picture. <laughs> you didn't need to go there. <laughs> to go there for something more. It's interesting to me because it's, I didn't actually connect the dots until right now, as I had this thought, because it's like embracing the present because we're so, it's, we're trained not to be present because of social media, because of just the fast paced life of Westernized society, or because of just how much we multitask nowadays. If we took the time to be present with ourselves, rather than thinking about what the next thing to do is, we would experience so much less mental anguish or just this, the hurriedness of life, right? I'm guilty of this as anybody else. I'm not a saint. I've gotten a lot better over the last few years since I started doing this. And now that I'm not in school, it's even more like I'm able to make non-negotiables with my time and say, no, work has to end by this time. Because you have other things that you need to do. Because if you don't, you will not perform well enough tomorrow. Because now you're just burning the you know the candle at both ends. And you won't let yourself figure out how to perform better tomorrow. Like, you just can't do that. Or it's you value time with other people, like you <laughs> and other friends that are in town or not around as often. So it's, no, you should actually go and enjoy your friends regardless of whether or not you should be doing something else like this embracing of the present moment. And I know that sounds spiritual to some people. If you're not used to hearing it that way, or I feel like it's so, it's so talked about so much now, but it's not talked about in like a concrete way. Which part, which what's the part? Like the embracing of the present. Cause it's just talked about in this like mystical general. Yeah. Generally mystical type category. It's complicated. Okay. So let's, say that part, one of the purposes of social media is to be able to indicate something that you did in the past. Or, this is something I see too, 
people will be in a moment mm -hmm. and they will think in that moment about what thing they're going to post in the future. And so insofar as they are posting in the present a thing that happened in the past yeah, or thinking about something they hope to post in the future, then the moment that they're in is being sacrificed to a thing that doesn't exist. Find me the future. It's, 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 you're sacrificing the present for some... Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's not entirely true. It is necessary to sacrifice things in the present for the sake of the future and to focus on the past in order to create lessons that you can use in the present to get to a future that you want. Fine. But there's also something that happens where people are neglecting the moment because they care more about getting a bunch of thumbs up from people they don't talk to. People they really don't know. Yeah, I got how many friends on Facebook? Great. I've got 35 likes on some posts. I talked to three of those fucking people. Why should I care about their opinion in the first place? But here I am spending my time curating some Facebook posts. Oh, that doesn't quite sound right. Let me edit that. So that these people will like me. Why? Because I'm addicted. <laughs> because they're playing that game with your brain. And one of the consequences of that is that you neglect the present moment. You are incentivized to neglect the present moment. In fact, you don't even consciously get derailed. You are being derailed by somebody else. So it's not your choice. It's not your choice. You're not getting the present moment. All you're getting is a bunch of empty, pointless likes from people that you don't fucking care about. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. As I was, as you were explaining that, it really sunk in as, oh, wow. It, it really sucks you away from the things that you really should be paying attention to. Like the, the people that are closest to you. The people that, whose actual opinions could actually affect your life. How or many, thoughts. <laughs> how many times have you been, you generally have been on or in a moment where you're surrounded by friends or you're sitting at the dinner table or you're doing whatever and y'all end up on your phone. Why? Because you're getting more dopamine from being on your phone than you are with your friends. Maybe that means your friends are boring. <laughs> Maybe that means, cough, that you've been hijacked. I don't know if any... I've seen what addiction does to people. I, I knew a heroin addict. And I watched this dude get possessed... He didn't exist anymore. He was just every word he said became a lie. All in service of just getting the next little piece. Ruined his life. Ruined it. And I watched it pee. It was horrifying. It was like I could just see something was off one day. Something got right here. Like you saw that like that falling off like the slope kind right. of thing. It's, there's a manic element. And now it's all this and then suddenly there's a temper and then suddenly it's, uh, oh, I don't know. It's everybody else's fault. I don't know why this happened and now I'm getting punished for it. And then there's this and then, blah, and then I try to talk to him and he goes, oh, you're just you're one of them and you want to credit, oh, you don't care about me, blah. And everything was, everything, everything became a means of of removing obstacles in the way of getting more heroin.
and he died in the process. Mm. Oh, yeah. He died in the process. He died figuratively. Yeah. All that he was, whatever person and personality and richness that it was to that person, was demolished. And what was left was a husk filled with nothing but a insatiable desire for drugs. And what I see is people who are a dieted version of that. Who are willing to play these social media games and sacrifice themselves on the altar of it. Mm-hmm. And so their whole character becomes nothing but some pattern of behavior that's in service of getting more likes. So they go to the cool bars. <laughs> they move to different places in the country and they get new filters and they pay for this and they do that and whatever. And it's all just to serve these companies. Or, or it's the I, – I just saw a post where there's a set that looks like a private jet interior. So you can rent out space to take pictures on the private jet. <laughs> so we're willing to falsify everything about our lives for what? It's interesting to me because some of the like thought experiments I like to do is like if you didn't continue to do something and it wouldn't change anything, like for instance, by having a certain social media, are you really missing out in theory? And to me, it's if we really think about it, unless you're already doing some sort of sex successfully monetized system with your content, but that I think at once you're making money like that, I think it's a different game regardless. But if you just stopped doing it, would you lose anything? For the vast majority of people, is you can just quit and it doesn't change anything about who you are outside of what value you place in it. If you decide not to do these things, you like no one's going to look down upon you for not being there because those people knew a like a thin slice of the you that you provided on these things. It's to me, it's who are the people that really know you? And in that respect, it's those you let get close to you in real life. <laughs> right. It, part of that is just like, you are one giant circle picture. I'm trying to provide an image mm -hmm. picture, a giant circle inside of that circle is a much smaller circle. And a tiny little circle might be in some sense a part of you, but that's the part that everybody gets to see on Facebook and whatever. And so it's nothing. But here's part of the issue too. Insofar as you're willing to sacrifice who you are, the rest of yourself, your time, your energy, whatever, in order to achieve the thing that only exists in that small circle – you are sacrificing the big circle for the small one and you're making a mm. lesser version of yourself. You're caricaturizing yourself. That's interesting. This, this is the problem with celebrity is that celebrities aren't treated like people because they're not like people. It's similar to politicians even. Because, yeah, and politicians because the only thing that the public ever sees is the thinnest, most boring little sliver of them, that little circle. And so when people pursue fame and all this stuff, what they end up doing is sacrificing the big circle for the small one and they lose. They get what they wanted, 
but they lose out on everything else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it because it's like you can never fully express you. And you wonder <laughs> how or why it feels like these sort of Hollywood types, this, these famous people are always are just jumping on the bandwagon of some social movement because it's about fame for them because they don't have any character outside of it. Because insofar as saying the socially appropriate thing will maintain their fame, then they'll do it. And it's not because of any deep moral principle or that they feel they need to do this. I'm calling. It's because they are obsessed with fame and it feels good when they pursue fame and this is a way for them to do it. And so they lose all their character. They sacrifice their character and their depth for nothing. This is a part where we can kind of transition into the polarization of everything, right? With, I think it wraps in all of this, these aspects with the identity piece, with the sacrificing, and then how the algorithms work against us or human behavior. Because if we're playing these games that are, it almost have to be limiting. They have to be, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to have so many people be able to use them. The then all of a sudden now we're getting into this point where nuance has basically died because it needs to be things need to be chopped up and thin sliced and packageable so that as many people can absorb it or at its worst argue about it. I mean. It's like pop music. Yes. And part of what makes pop music popular is it isn't so complicated that those people who can't process the complications are left out. And it plays on those things most common to all of us. So pop music is simple. It's accessible, right? Anything hyper-popular or designed to be popular is going to be designed to be accessible. But that means that in order to get at its excess complexity is sacrificed. So in the same way, we are sacrificing nuance for the sake of accessibility. And if it already maps one-to-one on what you believe, then you don't have to think about it. You've got instant access. Yeah, you already know, you, baby. You see it and you've already got the special decoder ring and you're good. You're like, ooh, there's that dopamine hit. I feel validated. I feel great. Wow, I was right this whole time. Maybe you were right this whole time because they're providing you seemingly with something that you would just eat right up. Not because it has substance. You're the child. You're one of you're Hansel or Gretel. Or <laughs> the other kids that showed up to that witch's house right? yeah they are giving you candy and you are eating that shit up and pretending you'll be okay right before they fucking kill you look how fucking clever i am like sometimes the things that we need are complicated and they're difficult and you have to contend with them and they're not gonna be nice to deal with or be everything you want them to be and i and i think that in this era anyone who is trying to provide you with something that is seems comfortable seems easy or a simple solution right like here's what the source of all your problems the hairs (laughs) on the back of your neck should stand up every time you hear a bill that says care 
<laughs> Every time you hear a guideline that talks about safety, you should be terrified. Isn't there a bill right now called Save the Puppies or something like that? Oh, I don't know. But th- that would be a, a situation where you would be like, okay. See, th- what they're doing is they just – Orwell used this. this not, he didn't make this explicit like I am, but Orwell did this. He had the Ministry of Peace when it used to be the Ministry of War. They're telling you what they want you to think. And if you're eating it up, it's because you're not thinking. Yeah. In some ways, I, I like to view how just as an example, Facebook plays out for a lot of the situations is it feels like someone shook up a hornet's nest and threw it at one group of people. And the person that decided to throw the hornet's nest points at the other group and says it was them and then causes a fight and then monetizes that. And then record like and records that fight because it's <laughs> in their interest to do so. Better yet, just be Russian. And the Russians would they would create two Facebook groups, one that was like a Muslim group and one that was a like conservative right wing group. <laughs> and then they would schedule protests on the same day in the same place between those two different groups. With the intent of creating like problems. <gasps> Why? And they'd be extremist groups, right? <laughs> so it's like, oh, we bought you in. Now you're in this group. Now let's just ramp up the fucking rhetoric. Just ratchet until up. you just get absolutely furious. That's Can you picture yourself being this like 23-year-old Russian dude sitting in some basement somewhere laughing his fucking ass off? Because this is hilarious. Because he gets to play like – he gets to play Loki. Yeah, He gets for to real. run around and just cause trouble. He's a child running around. I mean and all, he, all he's doing is it's like for him it's just typing on a keyboard and – and laughing Some coding. his ass off. He doesn't have to contend with consequences. Yeah. That's what he's doing. And we're all falling for it. Yeah. If people are really interested in that kind of work with bots and stuff like that, it's Renee DeResta. She does a ton of work in that field and is doing a lot of bot research and how the 2016 election was infested by this stuff with Russian bot farms in, in, in both Facebook and I believe Twitter. And then now the modern version of this is botting in regards to COVID and conspiracy theory. Is there? She had a conversation with Harris, right? Sam Harris? I don't know how recently, but I think she was. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah. If it happened, it was a while back. Yeah, it was probably like 2019 or 2018 that she was on. But there's a more recent one. So there's a podcast with Tristan Harris's company or his foundation is more. It's the Center for Humane Technology is his group since he left big tech and it's him and a whole bunch of technologists like Rene Duresta that all talk about this stuff and are talking to policy, talking to the government and trying to talk about the ethics of this stuff. And his podcast is called your undivided attention. And it's all about these researchers and how, what they're doing and what they've found out with technology and where are the ethical overlaps or lapses really not overlaps. And then how do, can we think about ways that we can start adjusting these things so that we can protect individuals, protecting well-being, protecting mental health and well-being go hand in hand, all of the different facets of this. And then also how do we protect the internet so that countries who would love to see the <laughs> United States be fighting itself because a country divided can't be defending the world. And I think Sam Harris and Tristan Harris both talked about this in their most recent conversation right. about China and Russia would loved would love that's the best game to play. 
If you can't beat them, you divide them internally, and we left the door wide open because of the internet. And it's it's complicated because part of me wants to suggest the things that these people could do mm-hmm. in their respective fields. People that work at Facebook could do X. Right. People that work at Twitter could do Y. I think that the more important thing is to emphasize what we get to do. I agree. On the immediate front, and I think really, I deleted all of them off my my phone. I have no social media on my phone anymore. That's amazing. Thing is, I still have the accounts. I can go on Instagram. The, my question is, do you feel any different since you've deleted them? It's pretty recent. No. I noticed that I, my screen time is way down. Naturally. Like 40%. Wow. That's a uh, huge drop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially Instagram was a time. I'm a very visual person, so just any amount of time that I was spending on Instagram was just, it was a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Every time it was always a rabbit hole. And I like Instagram. It's enjoyable, but it's not necessarily good for me. Mm-hmm. It's like knowing limits, right? And it's sometimes these things, you just, you can't just tell yourself, oh, a little bit. It's, it's all or nothing in a lot yeah. of times because it's once you give yourself that first, like when you say you're going to be eating healthy and it's like day two and you're like, damn, I really want that cookie mm. or I want that ice cream. And then next thing you know, you have ice cream and you're eating the whole fridge. <laughs> it's even worse than that. It's every, it, it's like you have 10 people around you who are just saying, hey man, we're all having cookies. Look at this ice cream. It's delicious. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to see this picture of this ice cream? Oh, man, it's so good. And you're like, no, I don't need this picture. This, uh, I don't want ice cream. What about this cookie? Every time you deny something, somebody's there with something better. And they're just going to do, harass you. That's what it's like. And, of course, you fucking fail because, again, the, the thing that is trying to get you to eat that fucking ice cream is a supercomputer. It's Gary Kasparov of ice cream eating. <laughs> And it's going to show you all the most delicious ones, and it knows that you love your favorite flavor, and it's going to be like, guess what's on sale today? And it's really good at rationalizing why you should have it. Oh, it's your birthday. You'll be fine. Man, that was a really crazy, that was a crazy thing this week. Oh, man. Your boss is such a dick. You deserve this. And it's not because Facebook and these things are like know your personal life or rationalizing but because they've created a system that reinforces all the steps to get to the thing that moment where you actually click like where you buy that thing and insofar as rationalizing is one of the the steps along that path then they're reinforcing rationalizing yeah. and you are learning they are encouraging you to learn to practice lying to yourself that's what rationalizing is. People do that all – there's a, the, a lot of psychological studies on like after you buy something, even if you're slightly disappointed, you will still defend yeah. whatever it is that you bought because it's because better it's, to do that than feel like you wasted money. It is <laughs> easier to say that – to fight to the death that you had the right decision to admit the fact that you were fucking wrong. But if you have the courage to look at your behaviors honestly and sincerely – and to say what your conscience is trying to say instead of what your rationalizing mind is trying to say, then you will avoid this problem and you'll be a better person for it. Yeah. I actually just, as you said that, the courage part of that, I was remembered of a book that I just finished reading. It's called The Courage to Be Disliked. 
I love the title. <laughs> and it's a philosophical book. It's written like the Socratic method right. where it's conversations. And it takes you through what is now called personal psychology or personal philosophy. And it deconstructs via conversation how to have courage to be yourself. And I think in today's modern world, that courage is being subverted or the ability to even learn that skill is being robbed of us because you're supposed to perform some sort of societal duty because of these platforms believe a certain way or agree with a certain thing or because you're X or because a person like me should believe this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And this is what bothers me too about this whole thing is that it's imagine that every piece of energy, every ounce of energy that you spend liking and subscribing and retweeting and retweeting could be focused on shit that mattered. Yeah. Like we, if we could just get a measurement, like it is X number of units, yeah, whatever of energy unit that might be <laughs> that are spent fucking around on Facebook and arguing with people that you're never going to convince. Imagine if we could just focus all of that energy on going to Mars. Right. Imagine if the entire every person on Facebook just spent all of their time instead of fucking around on Facebook use that energy and time on trying to figure out how to get to Mars. We'd be there. We We would already be there. We'd have a lot more progress. Even those people who get like vindictive and I'm just going to use a a dieting person as a really quick example. Someone who's like really into plant-based. Sure. And they're just vindictive on Facebook and anytime they see someone that eats meat they just lose it. But if they took that level of intensity of energy on disliking someone because of their meal choice and funnel that into a way to be, have a more positive outlet to provide information on plant-based diets to make it easier for people to try it. Personally speaking, you might get further than trying to convince that one person that triggered you. It's similar to the Ocean Cleanup Project. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there were stories of his project where people would shit on him and be cynical about him trying to do this thing. And he started doing it, I think, when he was high school. He's been working on it for four years now, or five years probably, since he's been last on Rogan, last time I heard of his project. And those, so there's people that were being cynical about his project. Oh, like, why would you even do this? This is such a waste of time. Like, it's not going to make any effort. Or is it going to actually make a difference? Like, that whole thing. But I, it's the same thing as this social media thing. It's, isn't it better to try than not try at all? Like, maybe it won't go anywhere. And if the money runs out, then it doesn't matter. But instead of waiting around for some magical someday, you know what? Someone should really clean up the ocean. I think we can figure it out. And just by him trying to make organized, like, some order out of the chaos, then all of a sudden people start taking it seriously and start putting money into actually making something happen. I have no patience for these people to make these kinds of criticisms of people that are accomplishing things. It looked to me to be the same thing as people that talk about luck. Mm -hmm. They look at people who are successful and they say, you're just lucky. 
And the reason that they're saying that isn't because the person has an ad luck or has an ad, does or doesn't. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The reason that they're saying that is because they want to say, if I was as lucky as you, I would be as accomplished as you are. Yeah. And that is fucking ignorant. And they can't <laughs> admit to themselves there are people who go out into the world and do more than they do mm-hmm. to accomplish things that matter because that, they think, looks bad on them. And, and instead of admitting the fact that they're not working as hard, that they're not as interested on that topic, whatever, they have to tear that person down to save their fragile egos. I think those people are pathetic. They are fucking pathetic. And they should get the fuck out the way and shut their mouths. If we all put our energy into something that we really 100% cared about, like, this is going to make my life better. And maybe, even if you stop at friends and family, if you dedicate your life to making your life better so that the lives of your friend, your closest friends and family are better, then you've left a mark that is magnitude better than it was without you having tried. I just don't see the point of not trying to move the needle even 1% in a positive direction. Because it's easier... Because at the end of the day, if you move that needle 1%, that has invisible repercussions, ripple effects. For every good deed that you do... That bounces from person, like from me to you, and however many people that we might happen to make a good deed against, that then bounces to them. It's like a contagion, just like viruses, but in a positive dimension. And so the more good you do, the better it gets for everybody. And by the, by the time it leaves the U.S., it's going to be like gone around the whole globe. If you do something good, someone else could read that and be like, damn, if they can do that, what else could I do? It doesn't have to be anything remotely close to the thing, like, domain-wise, like, to that person's, say, the Ocean Cleanup Project. Just because he's doing that over there doesn't mean it's unlikely that you could do something like, I don't know, making music or providing food for people in a holistic way. Doesn't take anything away from you. In fact, I think it makes it possible that no matter how crazy the idea is, if you think on it long enough and are smart about it, you should, could, you'll find a solution somehow. And some of this looks to me to be an issue of awareness that in reality, let's say I hate, it bothers me. I'm selfish. I am a (laughs) selfish bastard and all I care about is me. Mm -hmm. And I find out that somebody keeps dumping trash across the street from my house. I hate this. So, and maybe it's multiple people. There's a system. There's some reason that a bunch of people are dropping this trash off. I go over across the street and get in a little wooded area that's nice, but it's been demolished by this trash. And I start picking it up because I care about myself. I'm like, fuck this. I want this out of my eyesight. I hate this. It's driving me crazy. I clean it up. And then I find out that the reason that it's getting trashed, because it keeps happening even after I clean it, is that... There's no good dumpster system in my city. These huge dumpsters that they would normally leave 
in certain places behind businesses, whatever. And so some of the local businesses, instead of taking it to the big dumpster behind, that would be provided by waste management or whatever, isn't actually there and they don't have a good system. So they're like panicking. They just say, fuck it. And they dump that shit wherever they can. And it turns out that right by my house is where it's convenient. So they just keep doing it. And now my problem is selfishly, I'm going to fix this fucking problem with the waste management system because these dickheads aren't doing what they need to do to enable people to not put their trash in my fucking yard right across from my house where I have to look at it every day. And so now I think the intelligent and sophisticated people who are even selfish end up having a good reason to fix their society. It's piece by piece. It's the small things. They don't go right to the top and talk about how morally justified and amazing they are for wanting to restructure the whole system because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> no, it's that they it's that they are willing to fix the things that they actually can fix instead of saying mm-hmm. somebody should fix the whole system and I'm angry and I'm going to yell until that gets fixed. Yeah. It's no uh, bitch. The impetus is on you. Yeah. And when the impetus is on you, even if you're selfish, you'll come to recognize that there are things that you can do in your local vicinity that will improve not only your life but the world. And the awareness element comes in a willingness to recognize the string of things that led up to the things you're uncomfortable with. That it's not just the trash in front of your house. But it's actually also you and your response to that thing. But it's also the underlying conditions that lead to that, the trash there. And the fact that now that you're aware of this thing means that you're obligated to do something about it. Taking responsibility to things that you can actually make an impact with. Right. And most people die at step one. They might clean up something, but they don't look inward and ask. In interpersonal situations, looking inward is more applicable, but... In this case, they don't – even if they – they're unwilling to ask why that's a systemic problem Mm -hmm. because they know that then they would have to do something about it. (laughs) It's it's not wanting to deal with the consequences. And they don't really care. They just care enough to do the minimal necessary effort. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because as you're explaining that story, I was reminded of yet another book (laughs) – (laughs) And that book is called The Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stoll. And this book takes place, I believe, in the 80s, like late 80s, as computer networks are just finally getting, like, up to speed. Like, it's just past, like, ARPANET and, like, right before the internet. And the guy, Clifford Stoll, it's a real story. Like, it's wild, honestly. But the premise of the story is that he's in control of this local lab... And he's one of the first network managers there. And he's an astronomer. He knows coding, but he's more of an astronomer and he doesn't really care about being a networker. But he finds some weird accounting things. And by finding this weird accounting thing, because that was back when your phone network was connected to your internet. And so you'd get phone charges for internet use. And it went down this whole rabbit hole, basically. And he went from like this hippie dude who knew a bit about computers to interacting with CIA and NSA and basically uncovering one of the first network frauds in the history of the internet because the guy that was hacking in was in 
Europe. I don't want to spoil the story if people go and read the book. But it like went through this whole thing where it was like he was the guy that happened to be there and seeing this thing. And because of the weird, no one knew the jurisdictions of the internet yet, even though this guy was breaking into military bases and military computers. But he was like the only person in the right place who had all the data and was the only one doing it. And was the finally got to the point where he was able to get like the U.S. government and then the European police to catch this dude. And the, and the moral to, the moral to the story there, and part of the point I'm trying to get at, is that if it bothers you, hunt it down, and maybe you'll find that you do a lot of positive work. It was it's really interesting too because he even says it in the book where he's well, here I am with long hair and jeans and stuff, and I'm talking to G-men and like he has these characterized viewpoints of what the government was supposed to be like back then because he. Mm-hmm. Went to school, or he was a professor at, I want to say Berkeley, or on the East Coast, or West Coast, sorry, in California. Back then, obviously, people had very different viewpoints, and so he had friends who assumed certain things about the government, and that here he is having them on, like, speed dial. (laughs) And I should say, too, right, it's like, you, when I say hunt it down, when I say search this thing out, when I say pursue it, whatever, you need to be able to pursue it with a certain amount of awareness because what you're going to find is that the things that you assumed don't hold up and you won't get to the real solution to your problem unless you're willing to address those things that are outside of your assumptions and assimilate them or accommodate them into your framework. Yeah. And that's why I brought up that point of him having to deal with people that he would have assumed were, in quotes, the enemy or had some sort of negative connotation towards. And because I think that wraps back into kind of what we've been outlining this whole time of not just agreeing with things because it's what you, I mean, already agree with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have a – this is a tant. Or at least takes us off of that launch point, but in maybe a different direction. But I distrust anything that sounds good in in the internet world mm-hmm. because it's usually it usually sounds good for the sake of providing me with something that is not for my own best interest. And so, to talk about polarization, if you're a right-winger, if you're on the Republican side, whatever, and you hear news outlets that are telling you something that is exactly what you would expect, you're like, oh, I knew that would be true. I intuited (laughs) it. I intuited it. They're like, of course that's why this happened. (laughs) I knew this all along. Wow, I'm a genius. If that's what you're thinking, you need to move outside your bubble. Because the reason that it sounds good to you is because they curated things that would sound good to you so that they could sell that shit to you. Yeah. Not because it's true. And if you're a left-winger, like, you're right! God! I knew that was the case. You're telling me exactly what I knew. I knew it feels so good to be right. <laughs> Bitch, you got the same problem. 
you'd probably start listening to some shit from the right wing. Where you should listen to things from the left wing. In fact, actually, it's not so obvious what you do because which right wingers and left wingers are going to give you want and how and which portion of them are totally unreasonable and not talking about the truth at all. Because I suspect that a bunch of people, for example, from the left wing who want to do this go to the right wing and then they hear the right wing and they go, you're not willing to talk about the facts at all. So why should I take you seriously whatsoever? And then they hand wave them away and now they just revert back to the bullshit that they were doing before yep. and they're caught back in their bubble and they just say, now I listened to right wingers and I found out that I was right all along. It's what information should you pay attention to? I think that would you the, the indication of an honest broker in the information age mm-hmm. Is somebody who is on one side or the other openly, I'm left wing or I'm right wing. Yeah, they're honest about their position at the beginning. But you'll catch them breaking the narrative. Mm. And so they'll say something that isn't comfortable within their own party. Got it. And because that indicates that they're willing to take a risk in order to say what they think is true, regardless of the pressure that they're getting from that part of the culture mm-hmm. from the, that part of the political culture left or right so you have right wingers that will say left wing points and left wingers will say right wing points yeah those are the people you should trust yeah i find this topic who can you trust for information purposes and i i think what it comes down to is like this overlay of not neutrality but you're trying to get as close to the truth of whatever topic they're speaking on. But the thing is we can bias our ideas left or right in this, in this domain that we're, we've laid out here being more liberal or more Republic or conservative. conservative. Yeah. That's the other word. I was like, what was the word? <laughs> like <laughs> left my brain. And so the idea there then is to like, you have to map the territory. Then I found this really interesting is, there's an app called um, Ground News. And so Ground News is a aggregative news platform. So they capture articles spanning topics and they show you based on the bias of each news outlet and the, the spread on a given topic. So they'll, sh- and then they'll, the, one of the coolest aspects of it is they'll show blind spots. So they'll say blind spot on the left or a blind spot on the right, or there's no middle coverage here. Mm-hmm. And so you can, so personally speaking, I l- really enjoy trying to find the articles that have as most unbiased content as possible, trying to find the non-biased headlines. And, th- but the game you get to play here is you get to see the games that these news outlets play with the headlining. And how they play with the title to make it fit the narrative of any side. And what are those buttons that each side is looking for? Yeah. Or even the best part is the blind spots. Because like when you see blind spots, then you get to see what missing information people won't have. And you'll see what groups aren't actually talking about or being will- willfully blind about. And, and I find those ideas really interesting. Because it's like, where are we choosing not to pass the ball around kind of thing? It's because it's like, what are we will like the cost of lies? If you've watched Chernobyl. (laughs) Yeah. And you have a whole 
section of the media that is willing to tell lies for the sake of the pre the prescribed narrative in order to provide for you something that feels good so that mm -hmm. you'll continue to come back and give them money and you'll continue to come back because it feels good and that makes you slowly addicted yeah addicted in some sense to vindication yeah to feeling right we all we all like feeling like we know things right it's just part of who, every human we like being on top of our own shit and like feeling some sort of autonomy in our lives and being right is one of those things. But there, there's a proverb and I'm not sure where this comes from, but it's having strong convictions, but loosely held. Hmm. And the way I take that to mean is you can hold some sort of viewpoint on a topic but when new information arises or if the situation changes in such a way that your old belief no longer maps or old conviction to keep the language concise, no longer maps on that situation, you have to be willing to drop it and take on a new model. We cannot continue to dig our heels into these situations and say, nope, these are my because I'm X, I have to believe it this way. And this is the right answer all of the time. Hmm. And I think there is a point to have principles, but I still think there's a point where we can't just be stubborn for stubborn sake. Yeah, you can. <laughs> and, and part of it is, an, is some sort of some strange assumption that people have around the ideas that they hold and the work that they put into achieving those ideas. Mm -hmm. That... If they change their mind about the validity of one idea, that they'll lose everything that they put their work into. It's an unwillingness of people to recognize that, one, that they're wrong. But the reason that they're not willing to recognize that they were wrong, even to some degree, is because they're worried that all the work that they put in this thing will be for nothing. But the problem is, <laughs> especially in ideas, is that you, if the point is learning, then you are achieving your point all along. Regardless of whether or not you're right. Mm -hmm. that, that you've learned, if you spend 5, 10, 15 years on getting a grasp on one field mm -hmm. and then found out that the part of the field you were studying was wrong, maybe for a good reason, right? Because the things that are wrong that survive for that long are usually wrong in an interesting way. That they're just they missed the mark, they forgot yeah, something, just but they pushed, <laughs> but they did push the needle. They, they still moved us forward, but they're wrong in a good way. Mm -hmm. So you didn't lose anything by going, oh, I need to add something on here, and here's why they're wrong. But the insights, in one sense, got you there. It, it served its purpose right. for whatever time period that it may have. And if you recognize the fact that development is a process, and that much of it is something like hopping from train car to train car. Just because you move from car A to car B doesn't mean that you weren't moving forward. Yeah. Everything is emergent. And I think most of us have this perception of growth 
as a linear straight line. When in reality, growing as a human in any aspect is not linear. Like in some points in your life, all of a sudden you'll grow really fast and you'll see lots of change and progress and be really fired up about it. But at other points, you're going to plateau and you're going to feel like you're just, you know, trying to walk through quicksand. But it's you have to just keep going sometimes and just trust in this idea of process oriented. It's not the end goal, likes, <laughs> subscribes. It's the intrinsic value of struggling through whatever it is that you find valuable about doing a certain thing, anything. Be that your job, be that your a relationship, be that whatever you want it to be. It's not whatever end goal you perceive it to be. It's the things you learn along the way and then realize as you look back and reflect on that journey and be like, damn, I'm a lot further along than I thought I'd be. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's to some degree a question of which goals you ought to pursue for the most meaningful life. And likes and these things are clearly shallow mm -hmm. but you can have likes in those things and also have better ways of living right if you live not if you travel for the sake of personal and deep enjoyment mm -hmm. you can take pictures along the way yeah you can put them up on facebook and you will get those likes but if you are traveling to those places for the sake of those likes, then you will miss out on the deep and personal elements that would have gotten you those likes anyway. So there's a sacrifice to picking likes over genuine presentness. Mm -hmm. I think it's a miss. That you needn't make if you put pres presentness over the likes. Yeah. It's just, it's wake up. <laughs> It's just, I, I honestly, I can't be right now, but it's just a misordering of things. Be mis it is a misordering of values. Yeah. Everything you do has a consequence, right? There's a whole <laughs> philosophical thing to this that is complicated. Should I be part three of this conversation? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know if we'll do it. Not right now, but <laughs> <laughs> just eventually down the road, we'll just unpack the whole but, philosophical thing. <laughs> but your values all come in a consequence, and everything that you do is at the consequence of something else. And because everything is at the consequence of something else, what you choose is what you value. And how you order those values matter because some of those values, just like I described with likes and personal experience, can occur in a way that allows for other values to be achieved, other goals to be achieved along the way to this goal. And other ones, if you just misorder them, will sacrifice a bunch of things in the attempt to get there. You can have your cake and eat it too, but you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. It has to be explicit. The purpose of why you do it or how you do it. Yeah. And, and not just explicit, but you actually have to pick the right goal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the yeah. explicitity that does it. It's the fact that you're acting. And the, the real question to life is, of all the altars that exist, which one is actually worth sacrificing myself on? And... And sometimes you're making a deal with reality. It's, I'll give you my soul, but I want the most I can manage out of it. And reality says, 
I will give you as much as you can figure out. Whoa. And so what we do is we say, that looks like the best thing I can manage. And then we do it. But what ends up happening is most people aim so fucking low that they sacrifice all the beautiful things they could have on a shit altar. Something that's too achievable. They say, I want pleasure. Mm. And they don't recognize that you'll get pleasure on the way to meaning. And so they lose all the meaning in their life. But God, that sex they just had was great. And Jesus, that cake was delicious. Nice job, man. You, you were able to have some shallow shit and die. And you're left craving more. Right. Congrats. <laughs> but you could have the pleasure on the way to meaning. You you could have you could have a billion things on the way to a whole bunch of other things. And it's a, it's a question of negotiation. Which ones are more worthwhile than the others? But you have to figure that out. And reality is sitting on a chair, legs crossed, listening to you, trying to figure this out. It says, I will give you what you ask for, but you have to figure out what you want. I'm like getting this really vivid imagery of some reality as a caricature, as if it were personified as this old guy sitting in a, an old chair in front of a... Yeah, call it God. <laughs> right. Call it the universe. I don't give a fuck. It's all the same idea. Yeah. And the thing is, that's funny, is that this figure, whatever reality is in your perception, it won't tell you anything. It will listen to you, and it will nod, and say... It will speak to you in consequence. You will move through the world, and something will happen, and you'll go, oh, fuck. In reality, you go, well, I didn't say anything, but that's your cue. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not... It is not a chip captain... Telling you to move three degrees left so that you arrive at land. Mm -hmm. It's the lighthouse. And you say, that's the image. That's the thing that's pulling me. That's the clear sign that's pulling me in this direction. But you have to look at it and interpret it. Yeah. Whereas the captain is just giving you explicit knowledge. You don't get explicit knowledge in reality. You have to watch reality and it will slowly tell you how to fucking act. Yeah, it's just a refocusing tool. And maybe to tie the bow in this thing. Yes. If you're spending all your time on social media and what you're finding is that you're depressed and you're anxious and you're, you feel polarized from the people around you and you don't understand the, the nature of reality that they're living in, you're like, how could you believe that? They could believe that because they're getting a whole bunch of different facts presented to them. So they could be perfectly logical, but their axioms are totally different from you yeah. because the fact ba- the fact pool that they are pulling from is different from your own. Yeah. And if you feel that you're in that position, then maybe that's reality indicating to you that you're doing something wrong. You need to pull the plug <laughs> and re and reconnect with whatever some deeper, dare I say it, meaning. <laughs> and so on a personal level, the thing we're doing wrong is that we're actually giving a fuck about these social media things. Pull the plug. Take that shit off your phone. Yeah. But the thing that we're doing wrong on a collective level, as a society, or rather what these companies are doing wrong, is that they are exploiting the worst behaviors of human beings for monetary gain. And bad things are happening as a consequence. And if they had the presence of mind, they would recognize that reality is telling them that they're not driving towards – they are not they are not sailing towards the, the, the lighthouse. They are crashing into rocks. 
And instead of recognizing that they should turn instead of hitting these rocks, they just keep driving over them and saying, we're going to be fine because we have money in the hole. Oh, man. <laughs> the money is plugging the holes in the boat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We have treasure chests in, in the base of the ship. So we'll be fine. Idiots. You will sink the ship and you will never get your money and you will die in the process. And I think that might be the note to end this really part two of this long form discussion because there's, I think we're going to see more of this going forward. And I think at the very least, we should probably schedule to make sure to have a conversation post election night. Yeah, I, I think so. And I have a lot to say about the philosophies I've been thinking of, how people are behaving, everything from. I have a term I've come up with recently called bimboism. <laughs> I would love to break down, which I think is a consequence. That'll be fun to talk about the social media world, but it it's contentious. But right, and I know we talked, and this conversation was negative at points. And I think the point is to say that we're not blaming just one thing because all of this is so interwoven within just society. But the point to talk about all of this stuff is to hopefully provide awareness so that people can create actions and rewire behaviors for themselves so that they may have more personal agency in their own lives and make real change about the things they actually want to be making yeah. progress towards. Yeah. I, I hope that everything that – I think that what I'm doing is an attempt to make people's lives more worthwhile and that life can be better. But we're making so many mistakes now that in the long term we're going to fuck ourselves. So the, the things that seem negative now are positive in the long run. Yeah. And this another note to, to just put in for future podcasts or topics to talk about that I wanted to say now is just unpacking meaning. And we can – I know you've done so much research on what meaning is and I think yeah. – to do a crash course on what is meaning and how are the theories of meaningful living portrayed at a philosophical and, and psychological level, and then how can we start to relay that information in some way that's actionable in the modern world, in the modern world, I think would provide a lot of backdrop to this conversation to start getting into that actionable territory. Yeah. So thanks for listening, people. Till next time. Bye. <laughs> I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure. I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you, the listener, to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Meaning that you, the listener, and me, the creator, 
can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast, but I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoy.